and welcome to another Dairy Dialogue podcast, and this is number 117. I couldn't find anything exciting about the number 117. If you go to Wikipedia, it gives you the stunning news that it's the number between 116 and 118. So that's the difficult task of next week's podcast number taken care of. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and I'm kind of excited this week because if it keeps raining like it has in the past few days, I'm going to have a lakefront property. I'll be cut off from the outside world, but that's just minor details. If you're going to be in lockdown, it might as well be while the weather is terrible. As long as they don't cancel sport. And to show you how desperate I am, I even bought a DVD this week about hiking. But enough of the depressing stuff, let me tell you the important part, and that's who is on the show this week. We have conversations with Quantec founder Dr. Rod Claycomb and CEO Raywan McPhillips, Christina Matrojo, marketing manager for Taste in Europe and Russia at Kerry, and Chibani chief corporate affairs officer Christina Aleshi. And we have the return of the weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton at StoneX. It was one of those weeks where I thought about running four interviews, but then I don't want to use everything up, so for once I did the sensible thing and held one over for next time. It was also a week when I learned some new things by helping my son with his schoolwork, including a little about Robert Burns, as my son's learning about him in school. He's very important in Scotland. Well, that's Robert Burns, not my son. There's a statue or a plaque pretty much everywhere Burns ever set foot, and he was born just a few miles from where we live. There are statues of him in London, Paris, New York, Milwaukee, Winnipeg, Chicago, Atlanta, a few in Australia and New Zealand as well. Perhaps I can say that I've found evidence that he once waited for a bus where I live and see if it increases the house value, even though there weren't any buses in the 18th century, so he'd have been waiting for a while. And on Monday, it's Burns Night, which is when the entire country celebrates. Well, some do. It's kind of like Christmas with bagpipes instead of Bing singing White Christmas, and with haggis instead of gifts. Right, another fairly slow news week this week. It hasn't really taken off yet in 2021, but if that means we don't have to deal with another disaster like the pandemic, then that's fine with me. So, this week's news. Italian cheese companies Agriform and Parmareggio have merged. Nestle is helping dairy farmers in Sri Lanka. And it was also in the news with a partnership with GK Plug and Play to drive innovation in Indonesia. Amcor is assisting brands with communication about packaging carbon footprint reductions. And sales of raw milk in Belarus have increased ninefold. In the US, Chibani launched some RTD cold brew coffees. DuPont introduced a new probiotic to reduce stress. NGS is expanding in the US with nutritional shakes for children. And FIRD is exploring Elopac investment opportunities. SIG has a new president and general manager Europe. And the US has a new president too, although I didn't write about that. Friesland Campina Ingredients published its four key trends for 2021, and you can read all of those and more at DairyReporter.com. So let's get to this week's interviews. First, this week we're talking IDP, and IDP stands for Immune Defense Proteins, which come from milk and have been found to be effective against influenza virus species. New Zealand company Quantec 
commissioned an independent study to see if IDP had antiviral activity. And to tell us about the study and IDP are the company's founder, Dr. Rod Claycomb, and the CEO, Raywin McPhillips. All right, I wonder if you could first give me some background on the company. So we're called Quantec, and we're based here in the Waikato in New Zealand. I have been around for about 12 years. Rod and another person, Dr. Judy Bragger, started the company about 12 years ago, initially looking at extracting the bioactive proteins from milk specifically to use in the health of cows, particularly around the management of mastitis without having to use antibiotics, was the initial focus of the company. Uh, And we still do work around that, but it's really tricky. So that's an ongoing piece of work that we still stay focused on. But in the meantime, Judy in particular had done a lot of work around the characteristics of um, what we call IDP, the bioactive proteins in milk, and found that they had incredible uh, antimicrobial, anti-inflammatory properties. And so looked to see what else Contact could do with that which is how the the company got formed and why we focus on IDP now. So we've got eight people based here in New Zealand. We managed to stay relatively small because we work in partnership with other companies around the manufacture of our products. And then we also use um, distributors internationally for a lot of our products as well. So a very focused small team focused on sales and R&D particularly. And as far as IDP, could you give me a bit of background on IDP? I always like to explain IDP using the uh, example of where it comes from. So IDP obviously is extracted from cow's milk and uh, the inside of a cow's udder is like an, an internal skin. It's, it's lined with epithelial tissue. And over the years, as we've been characterizing IDP, we've discovered more and more about the reason why IDP is in milk in the first place, and that is to protect that internal skin from bacterial infection and the resulting inflammation that occurs if infection happens. As everybody in the dairy industry knows, mastitis is probably the number one cause of lost income in the dairy industry. And uh, even though it's a big issue, there's many, many more cows are challenged by environmental bacteria after every milking every day. And uh, the fact that mastitis incidence is as low as it is probably is due in large part to these proteins that protect that internal skin from bacteria infection and inflammation. We've spent uh, the last 12 years just continuing to characterize this IDP fraction that we pull out of milk. We now know there's over 50 different proteins in that fraction. Uh, The most predominant protein is lactoferrin. There's been a lot of research done on purified lactoferrin over the years. But what we've focused on is all those other 50 plus more minor proteins and how they're working all together to uh, create this what we call a barrier functionality in the mammary gland. And how does that translate to what is useful in a commercial capacity? We here at Quantec focus a lot on the characterization and in the development of applications around IDP and focus on a lot of the research as well around so specifically sort of lab trials at this stage and working into clinical trials on different 
applications for the product, what it's good for. So we know that it's particularly good for uh, immune function, gut health, skin health, and then develop products either for ourselves um, as trials or in partnership with customers to develop new products and, and new functionality for the product. And then work with our partners to do a lot of the work for them around the development of those um, initial products and then sell the ingredient directly to a customer particularly or we have our own brands which are as I said trial products but um, in, in a lot of sense so that we can show customers and consumers how the how the product works. So basically Jim any any surface of the body we can get IDP in contact with that is threatened by bacterial infection or inflammation is fair game for using IDP as an active ingredient. And that surface of the body can be on the external surface or the internal surface, like in the mouth, the throat, the intestines, the gut, anywhere. You know, there's, there's certain ways that the product can be administered. So for supplements, for example, through tablets, chewable tablets or gels, sachets, um, and then in the skin areas that Rod mentioned, you know, things like creams, gels, masks. And then we also do liquid oil emulsion blends for consumption as well. So lots of different options that we do a lot of work around to see what works and the best ways to use IDP for consumers. And you recently were involved in a study. I wonder if you could tell me what the basis of the study was and also what the results were. Like a lot of companies, you know, when COVID hit and New Zealand went into lockdown, we took some time during lockdown to have a think about what IDP is good, good for and what else potentially it could be good for. There are a lot of clinical studies and literature on some of the isolates that are within um, IDP. So IDP is made up of over 50 different isolated bioactive proteins that all work in synergy together. So we, we had a look um, in more detail at the literature on things like lactoferrin, which is one of the more well-known of the proteins that are in IDP, and thought that if it's very good for antibacterial, anti-inflammatory type properties, what could it do around the antiviral side of things? And so we sent the product off to the US for some influenza and herpes testing. So herpes simplex, which is the virus that causes colsals. We knew that it had you know, that barrier functionality for, for cells, so wanted to know what it would do around viruses. And we're really pleased to see that it's come back that it was particularly effective on influenza A and and worked really well with the herpes simplex as well. So we're, we're doing more research in that whole area around um, viruses and have sent off more for more testing and have this time included COVID for testing. We didn't initially because we, you know, like a lot of people thought, Oh, hopefully this COVID virus will disappear relatively quickly and that will be history and we'll focus on influenza more generally. Um, but it seems to be here to stay for a while, so we're getting more testing done. Yes, just adding to that, the thing that we tested in the independent study was the barrier functionality of cells. So we weren't testing the ability of IDP to kill the virus. We were, again, looking at it 
the, the cell as a surface. And if we expose the surface of the cell to IDP, would it prevent the virus from entering the cell? And so uh, the key parameter there is called the IC50, and that's the number that defines the amount of a substance that will achieve half of the maximum reduction of inhibition of the viral contamination. So that's like, it's like a golf score. The lower the score, the better, um, the more effective it is. And for influenza A, it only took 9.7 milligrams per mil of IDP to prevent that virus from entering the cell, whereas it took 21.8 uh, milligrams per mil of pure lactoferrin to do the same job. So the IDP, the synergies of the IDP proteins versus the purified lactoferrin was about 120% better. When it comes to things like herpes simplex virus, clearly that's something that you could apply topically. The other things like influenza are more internal. How do you deal with that? Well, the influenza obviously has to get into the body somehow, and the primary points of entry are the eyes, the nose, and the mouth. So, uh, you know, our thinking is around the incorporation of IDP into things like nasal sprays, mouth sprays, eye drops, you know, those sorts of things to actually protect the cellular surfaces from the influenza uh, viral entry in the first place. So, you know, that's still work that needs to happen um, going forward. The, these tests are in vitro tests, lab tests at this point. And so we'll be looking to formulate some more clinical tests next. And as Raywin said, we're also expanding our viral portfolio as well. And so what does this mean in terms of selling products that you sell in globally? Or is do you have specific markets that you sell to? We do sell globally. Our skincare range, Epiology, is sold through China and Latin America. And the ingredient IDP for things like um, supplements and the health product side of things is sold uh, predominantly through Asia at this stage, with a focus on China as one of our big markets. We currently sell supplement ranges such as um, Milk Immune, we sell it through to Nutrisuma, who sell it as a bioactive milk protein powder, and to Lytap, that's another big supplement company in China. And then we also sell it through as pet food, interestingly. So for us, it gives our customers and consumers far more reason to use the product. And what we've found is that for us, it's incredibly important to show the efficacy of the product. So we stand behind everything we say that our product can do, which is why it's so important that we do all this testing and then move into clinical trials with it as well. So all our consumers and customers know that that what we say it does works and it's incredibly effective. So yeah, so for consumers and customers, it's a product that you get your value from. What kind of claims can companies make or what can they put on their packaging to convey that to the end consumer? That depends a bit on the on the country. Uh, they all have different regulations and, and requirements on what you can and can't say. But in general, IDP is a product that supports the immune function and it's, you know, immunity by nature, really, that, you know, it's it's in milk for a specific purpose, and we are enhancing that and isolating that for the consumer to use, and we know that it works. And I guess the way that things have been going over the last year, that is probably something that consumers are really looking towards. 
it was happening even before COVID. We were starting to see how important natural immune health was to people. This has, I would say, accelerated what the movement was anyway. People are starting to recognise how important their health is. Um, no one's taking it for granted anymore. I think it's around the movement around the world more and more towards prevention rather than treatment. People are recognizing that they need to supplement their normal lifestyles with things that help improve and support their immune function before things happen rather than waiting till they get sick. So one of the things that with our product is, you know, if you're not getting sick, then it's great. You know, we're, we're trying to help people stay healthy, stay well and prevent any health issues around immunity and, and gut health rather than being any type of treatment or cure. And one of the things that always excites me about IDP as an ingredient is we're using it in exactly the same way that IDP is used in the cow. It's used to protect the cow from potential infection and inflammation. And uh, I think we're one of the, one of the only uh, natural health product ingredients that's being used in human health in exactly the same way it's being used in nature, as opposed to other ingredients like, you know, glucosamine chondroitin, which just happened to be anti-inflammatory, but they're not used in nature to be that way. So the isolates within IDP are incredibly well researched, um, and a lot of companies will sell those those isolates. But what we've found is that all those proteins actually work far more effectively in synergy, so far more powerful, which is what we found with the influenza results. Yes, every mammary gland of every mammal would have a similar protective mechanism to protect that mammary gland from environmental infection and inflammation. Just so happens that... uh, you know, the supply of cow's milk in the dairy industry is uh, an area that has plentiful supply. So that's, we're taking advantage of that. And so what does this mean for the company moving forward, the the results from this and, and where you take it from here, I guess? Well, it's pretty exciting, actually. So we've done a lot of work on the antimicrobial, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant side of what IDP does in terms of its functionality so adding the knowledge that um, it also has um, some antiviral activity is pretty exciting for us so we will continue doing a lot more work in terms of the um, characterization and and more research on that because all of that helps our customers to have far more knowledge and, and depth around the products that they make with it and it adds more depth to Um, what they can use the product for and what consumers can use it for and trust. So we'll be doing a lot of work in China particularly, but also globally around um, promoting the product and and working with partners and customers that we've got now and potential customers to get the word out and to share what the capability is because it's pretty exciting, I think. An interesting subject, that, for sure, and I suspect we'll be hearing more about it in the future. 
Now we're talking trends with Kerry, the taste and nutrition company which has released its annual taste charts for 2021, uncovering flavours and ingredients it believes are set to inspire innovation and taste excellence across the food and beverage landscape. To tell us what the taste charts are and what to expect is Christina Matrojo, Marketing Manager for Taste in Europe and Russia at Kerry. So if you could tell me what the 2021 taste charts are. Uh, so the 2021 taste charts is a continuation of our successful annual global taste program that uncovers flavors and ingredients that are set to inspire innovation and taste excellence across the food and beverage landscape in all the different countries around the globe. We are very, very excited this year for the taste charts and uh, everything that brings into. How do the taste charts help your customers plan their launches? The taste charts is actually an inspiring tool for our customers in order to give them the first insights for around the global trends. They help them navigate across the different trends and really answer their needs in a consumer-focused taste in a pandemic-influenced environment. It is anticipated that 2021 will be a challenging year for the food and beverage developers in this respect, and we hope that the carry taste charts in this context will help accelerate innovation pipeline for our customers and the leverage products that will drive consumer preference. And where does the data come from to make these charts and to help you with these predictions? Because it's very detailed. Indeed, indeed, uh, it is very detailed as we are using consumer focus and on-trend lens to develop our taste charts and we utilize consumer purchase patterns, retail product performance, food service influences and endorsements from our company's internal culinary, beverage and mixology experts to predict taste for the coming years. It is absolutely a tool that utilizes our multidisciplinary teams in order to leverage in the most easy way, I would say, a list of flavors to inspire our customers. In this context, also artificial intelligence are proprietary artificial intelligence tools as the transporter that predicts food trends from global social media content have been used in order to provide additional perspective, inspiration and validation that will influence the marketplace. All these insights are shaping the categories of mainstream key and up and coming and emerging flavors and ingredients from around the world that you will find in the report of 2021. And could you run through some of the sections in the report and some of the interesting future trends that you're predicting? Yeah, that is very exciting indeed, uh, Jim. As in Europe, we are noticing an increased focus of flavors that are really associated with holistic health. Consumers are uh, traditionally considering dairy as a traditional healthy product. However, the pandemic has expanded uh, their appetite for added functionality. Mainstream red berries or tropical fruit flavors as passion fruit been consumers' long-time favorite flavor tonalities that really matches well with this type of products, with a functional uh, fortified products. Another key element of what we noticed regarding uh, uh, the dairy category is that we, the need for meaningful storytelling to address their needs over clean label, where experience an increase in demand for botanical paste such as basil and lavender that absolutely is a great combination for the category. Comforting flavors are strong in the dairy as consumers are seeking indulgence in their favorite foods and beverages. Dessert-inspired flavors are emerging in the category as muffin and red velvet and nuts are walnut and pistachio. There's a lot of information in the taste charts. When you're working with your customers, how do you utilize that and simplify that to get right to the point when it comes to working with your customers? 
Fair point, fair point. Of course, listening and understanding our customer needs is our way to cut through the noise. Uh, indeed, the taste charts and the global taste charts in this, in this context is a great tool to initiate discussions with our customers regarding all those trends and give them really the helicopter view about what is happening in the market across category and inspire them and together brainstorm further opportunities that will capture their consumer preference on the specific product development needs. Do any of these flavors and ingredients lend themselves to combinations? And, and if they do, how do you work out which ones of them do work well together? Absolutely. The taste charts report in this respect is our way to leverage also inspiring combinations. And as uh, one of our taste experts has clearly mentioned to his uh, interviews, it is about also demonstrating cutting edge innovation that will stretch a bit the, the taste bands, if I may say so, the boundaries of innovation. So in this context, it is absolutely in the hands of our RDNA, of our RDNA colleagues that are absolutely experts in leveraging the different flavors and understanding and giving, this, and giving this inspiration and these combinations to our customers and consumers. Is the tried and tested method better than unusual? I'm not sure I would think like this. As uh, there are tastes that consumers prefer and always go back to them, a new taste that uh, absolutely could trigger consumers to try them moving forward. I think uh, we are always uh, thinking towards what is the consumer group and what is absolutely the positioning of the product that we would like to, uh, that we are developing for. If I may say so, Generation Z and millennial consumers might be considered more keen in order to try something unusual compared to the Generation X. Consumers are obviously looking for so many different things at the moment. They're looking for functional, they're looking for minimal packaging, they're looking for sustainable ingredients that they recognize. How do you fit the charts in with what consumers are looking for? Indeed, it's absolutely fair point to say, to say that consumers want to have it all. Taste charts offer a view of the taste and the ingredients that resonate based on various consumer trends. I'm very excited to share that actually we are planning to release the taste stories as a continuation of the journey that, uh, that, we ha- that has just begun with the Taste Charts 2021, where we will uncover the various consumer trends and how these are translated into really the taste trends, the taste stories, with real product examples that we will see on the market the first half of the year 2021. And hopefully in this context, we will absolutely resonate better in the specific trends that uh, you have highlighted. I wonder what some of your particular favorites are for dairy and dairy alternative products? Yeah, my favorites, my all-time favorites are always, uh, I would say, the tropical notes like passion fruit and pineapple that we see absolutely in the taste chart. And this is mainly because they resonate so very well with the dairy base or the dairy alternative off notes that are all complementing very well the dairy alternative off notes that might be there when you're developing a new product. In the same time, I'm always intrigued with indulging flavors and I'm looking forward to this year's taste uh, as we have seen a lot of uh, comforting and indulging tastes coming as emerging tonalities that will be developed in, the, in this context in the next, next months from the dairy industry. And are you seeing any regional variations? Indeed, it's very exciting to see that all the regions in this respect, they're having similar trends as consumers are facing similar challenges all around. However, of course, they're expressed in different ways in the different tonalities. A common factor across the globe is uh, that not only a renaissance of traditional comforting taste and flavors is uh, absolutely there, 
but it's uh, it's absolutely heightened the push for new taste innovation, but not the adventure as well of familiarity. We see across the regions really the nostalgic tastes are coming into scope. Uh, really traditional flavors as consumers really were looking for comfort foods like uh, the chocolate, the vanillas is absolutely there. However, the, the boundaries have been pushed in different uh, ways with our different botanicals also coming into space that are expressing the local, uh, the different localities and the different local specialties from the consumers across the globe. Uh, one thing that we have highlighted also in the press release, and I think it's uh, very valid to say, is that I think uh, the taste charts has been always used as a tool in order to enable easier decision-making process during the innovation project pipeline. And uh, especially this year with all the teams, the different teams working from different locations or from home, it is absolutely a key tool in order to enable our customers in this respect having the common background, having the common starting point in order to ideate faster and making it make easier decisions coming forward for the development of new exciting products in the market. Next, it's over to Chibani in the US, where now former CNN and Bloomberg television correspondent Christina Aleshi has been appointed Chibani's chief corporate affairs officer. So I wonder if you could first run me through how you came to be offered this role and what attracted you to it. So I did a story about Chibani back in 2015, and I went to the plant in New Berlin, upstate New York, and met Hamdi for the first time and started interviewing the refugees at the factory. And I just was blown away by the experience and how this business, you know, a yogurt business had changed in many ways, saved people's lives. And, you know, I was talking to employees who had seen family members murdered in front of them, were escaping their home countries for fear of losing their own lives. And Hamdi spoke about them in a way that really stayed with me because I had never, I had never really, I've interviewed a ton of CEOs. I mean, all the major CEOs from retailers to banks and the way that Hamdi spoke about people and the importance of the workforce and how he wanted to change the broken refugee system and the impact that he wanted his business to have, not just on refugee policy, but sort of across the board in the world, making better food more available to everyone really spoke to me. I mean, I am a total city girl, but I grew up to two immigrant parents from Italy and we appreciated where our food come. We were taught to appreciate where our food came from from a very early age. So I always had this curiosity about food and farmers. And my dad used to take me upstate all the time where we would visit farmers. And I really felt a deep connection to the food industry. So, you know, as time went on, I stayed in touch with Hamdi and I kept, of course, tabs on what Jomani was doing. And, you know, the conversations just kind of developed organically the position was tailor-made for me, and that is, frankly, what attracted me to it, in addition to the fact that I went into journalism to make a huge, huge impact on the world, to shine a light on dark corners of our society, to give voice to the voiceless, and I'm actually doing all those things at Chobani. I'm informing the public about the importance of fresh and natural ingredients. You know, I am shedding light on important issues like child hunger. We're, we're doing a whole program around that and actually making an impact on people's lives. Like during the pandemic, Chobani 
ship a truck a day of yogurt to food banks around the country. So I have all of that sort of public service element to my job, in addition to the fact that I'm also part of the leadership team and helping to build a business and set the standard of what a modern food company looks like. So, I mean, to me, I would be stupid not to take this job. It has everything that I wanted and more. And and how does it differ from, obviously, companies put out press releases, they communicate through social media to consumers. How does it differ from just that very narrow role of the traditional press release? How will you be communicating and with whom? Oh, so my job really involves communicating in every single channel to every single person that Chobani touches. So you're talking about, obviously, public affairs, which houses all of the great work that we do in our communities and pushes the policies forward that we want to see changed or upgraded. Internal, external communications reports up to me. Um, Executive uh, visibility and communications reports up to me. So you're talking about various different stakeholders, and there are various different channels. You have social media, of course you have press releases, but that's not where the magic is made. It's made through building relationships with the press, building relationships with the community, building relationships with lawmakers, and that is really hard work. You know, I often talk about this with my team. What we do involves a lot of grit and scrappiness and just persistence, sort of like a journalist. I mean, in that way, we have to be resilient, persistent, and on point all the time. And that's what makes magic happen. We're successful as a company in in public relations and in corporate affairs because we speak to people in a language where they understand and we speak to each audience differently and we have those relationships. And that's what makes us successful as a team and will make us even more successful going forward as I sort of tweak and build up the team the way that I envision it. You talked about shaping the particular team and shaping that future. Do you have any internal or external time frame on that? No. I mean, however long it takes, I have a philosophy that you should never miss a deadline, but you should never put an artificial deadline on something. So I've been empowered to do what I need to do, and I will do that over the course. I'm going to build a team of the greatest possible talent, and I'm going to develop the talent that we have to its full potential. And, you know, however long that takes, there's no pressure to get it done within a certain time frame. For me, it's all about results. And if we're making an impact and we're getting results along the way, that's a win for me. And if people on my team feel good about what they're doing and they feel like they're part of something so special, you know, one of the things that I'm doing here is that I'm helping build a modern food company. And it was so important to tell that story that Hamdi and Peter decided that it should be an executive leadership role. And the reason that they put so much emphasis on this role is because, look, we are undoubtedly a dairy company first. You know, we, uh, Greek yogurt will always be our core. We'll always focus on that. But now we have so many more stories to tell, you know, that we're expanding. We have more dairy products, creamers, ready to drink coffee. Like there's dairy, obviously, in both of those products. And we're expanding into oats big time. And we've got oat yogurt and oat creamers and oat milk and in order to be a modern food company, you can't just be one thing, one constituency. You need to be true to your roots, but build out from there and bring everybody in under, you know, one big happy family. That is the mission. That is the goal and informing people 
how to improve their diet and focusing on nutritious and natural ingredients, that is a very exciting story to me as someone who likes to eat a lot and focuses on every single ingredient and every single product because I have to because I'm type 1 diabetic in addition to my cultural background. Like that to me, extremely exciting. And I think I'm going to build a team that's going to, you know, shout it from the mountaintop and tell the world what we're doing here. I don't think many people realize yet what it is we're building. We are building a whole new model for a food company. We have a founder with a heart and a soul. We have innovation nonstop. And we're doing all that and doing right by our people. We're paying workers what they should be paid. We are creating opportunities for them to move up. We're removing barriers to achieving the American dream. There's just so much. I mean, there's no doubt that this had to be an important position and an executive position at the company because there's just so much being done. And the story could be a little bit complicated to tell because there's so many moving parts. So someone's got to bring it together, articulate the big picture vision and get a team behind it to make it happen. I was going to say Greek yogurt company Chobani, but that's only really a part of what they do now, although certainly Greek yogurt does remain at the core of the company. Anyway, the GDT in New Zealand doesn't have a Greek yogurt category, but to tell us what's happening in the global dairy markets this week for the first time in 2021 is Liam Fenton from StoneX. So a belated Happy New Year to Liam and the team. This has been a really strong week uh, for dairy prices internationally and obviously here in Europe as well. Um, I guess the GDT yesterday being up 4.8% overall was strong in components, the likes of AMF up around 17% and and skim milk powder up 7%. We here in Europe, uh, quarter one butter uh, was up around 120 euros to the 35.30 level this week. Quarter two butter was up around uh, 90, 95 euros to the 3600 level. And quarter three was up about 100 euros on the week to the 36.75 level. Skim milk powder also up around the same amount. Uh, quarter one was up around 100, 110 euros to the 24.20 level. Uh, quarter two was up around 130, 35 euros to the 24.75 level. Quarter three skim milk powder um, was up at around 24.90, up around 120 euros on the week. Skimmel powder as well was probably up around 30 euros on the week from around the 8.30 level to the 8.60 uh, level. Continued strength seems to be the order of the day a lot, across a lot of commodity markets at the moment. Thanks, Liam. We'll talk to you again next week. Stone X, formerly INTLFC Stone, provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And so that does it for yet another podcast, and in a couple of hours from now, I'm doing an interview for the next one. So next week, hopefully, we will have interviews with Baby Bell, Danone, and CP Kelco. And there won't be a recording of me singing Old Lang Syne on Burns Night. It wasn't one of the songs we played when I was in a band. So, on that note, which I think is G major, we'll leave it there and get back to not going outside, which is fine by me because it's pouring and snowing at the same time. And so, until next time, wherever in the world you are, please stay safe, take care, and, as always, thanks for listening.